Welcome to the Literacy Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gabriel. This is the second episode of Series 2, which is focused on emerging questions about online teaching and learning. Now that we're up and running, what's happening, what's working, and what's next for literacy teaching and learning. My guest today is Stephen Stasniak, a high school English teacher at Metropolitan Business Academy, which is a public magnet school in New Haven, Connecticut. It's that school that you see from I-95 right after I-91 comes down to meet it. Um, So now anyone who's ever driven through Connecticut has a visual. Stephen has been asking some really important forward-looking questions about the implications and future of online teaching and learning. I think he's voicing concerns that many of us have that are bubbling just below the surface for now, but might become really important to engage later, depending on what later looks like. So I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you. I loved having it. I loved editing it because I got to hear it over and over. And we just cover a lot of ground. Um, A lot of ground is covered and questioned. So let's get right into it and let's meet Stephen. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Sure. My name is Steve Stasniak. I'm ninth grade English teacher at Metropolitan Business Academy. We're one of the magnet high schools here in New Haven. Um, And I am a teacher consultant for the Connecticut Writing Project. Um, I like to look for ways to kind of take my pedagogy and like push it to the next level. And the Connecticut Writing Project and my affiliation with UConn has been a great way to do that and to um, uh, meet great colleagues, go to conferences, um, and just to kind of have thought partners in the work. So I'm really excited, um, honored to be asked to talk, and I'm going to kind of do my best to share what my experience has been thus far. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm really, I'm really excited to have uh, some, we haven't had a lot of secondary representation yet, um, and so I'm really excited to have uh, another high school perspective in here, but also you've been doing some thinking about uh, kind of the implications and consequences to digital work that goes beyond just making sure we can get it turned on and going. Um, And so I'm excited to bring some of that out to our audience, but just first, just so we have like a little bit of context or background, what are you doing right now? Like what's the tool? What's the the plan, the format? We didn't know what to tell the kids to take home. We didn't know anything. And then the next we heard was we apply two weeks worth of work. At that point, I was still in sort of my traditional assignment mode. So uh, I was just about to start an essay, a performance task with the students. It was, you know, readings and lots of annotating, lots of background information, really sort of high support for for my students. And that was all in the portfolios at school. Nobody took that home. So I said, well, I'll do a, um, I do a seminar share, monthly seminar share where I take um, an essay, sort of topical essay. So uh, sort of based on International Women's Day, and it's just sort of a piece of satire that was in the Times, and then I partnered it with a poem, and then we have some questions, and then we sort of build, try to build that to a discussion. So I so said, we'll send that home, and the kids can work on that, and then we come back, we can use that for discussion, keep up with your independent reading. It then became clear that we were going to be out longer, and mm-hmm. so they, they sent out a survey to all the parents, and it's interesting because I'm experiencing that as, as a parent as well with my daughter in kindergarten. They sent out a survey saying, um, what kind of technology do you have? If you need technology, let us know. And, um, and then they told all the teachers, you need to be live on Google Classroom 
Uh, did they send an online survey to ask people if they could be online? <laughs> they did. Yeah, actually, that's, I didn't even sort of think of the irony there. But that's they sort did. of like the sign they have at like voting places that says, if you have any difficulty with reading, please find somebody who can help you. <laughs> exactly. So we all were issued, this is years ago, New Haven Google email addresses. And at Metro, we decided not to do that because the privacy, the sharing preferences are really wonky and you can't. The kid, if you're using your Google New Haven address, you can't share with somebody outside. So it's mm -hmm. hard to work. We do a lot of stuff with community partners. There's a, mm -hmm. it's just like if you ha I had a student teacher this spring, it was just, it would have been like really difficult to like share and get things in people's hands. So we've never really used it. So I used it um, for the first time and 91 of my 92 students accepted my invitation to my classroom, which told me they, they had access in some way. Um, I was surprised at the way in which there was really high, like, quote unquote, engagement um, mm -hmm. at the start. No mandate from the district in terms of, like, what we, what we're expected to do. They said, uh, aside from be available from your students, for your students, nine to, by, between the hours of nine and one, and um, make sure that you have, you know, adequate amount of work posted. I'm posting essentially a poem every other day because we have a block schedule. So I'll post it on one day and that's, that's supposed to be for like the 8 a.m. B-day classes. Okay. And I will give three really broad options for response. I'll say, you can write me, a, you can do it, you can compose a response and here's three questions with sentence stems for how to answer each. Mm -hmm. You can write your own poem. And I, we've practiced a lot with like the write-off technique. So take mm -hmm. a line, take a stanza, you know, copy all of it, copy none of it, whatever, turn it into your own. And then sort of the third being more creative, experimental, like take a picture and write a paragraph about how this picture relates to the poem thematically, or mm -hmm. share this poem with a family member and interview them, uh, asking them these questions and uh, sort of type up their responses. And that's been super cool. Um, I've had less, uh, about 50% completion rate. Mm -hmm. And what mm -hmm. we're hearing from students is they're feeling really overwhelmed. Students mm -hmm. feel really overwhelmed, but I can imagine having eight classes, having eight teachers all figuring out how to do this Google Classroom thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. We're, uh, so we're trying to figure it out as a ninth grade team. I would say the most impactful thing in terms of messaging that I've gotten is the superintendent in New Haven is an interim superintendent, um, and she has been in the district for like 35 years. She's held a whole bunch of different positions, mm -hmm. uh, been in a lot of buildings, and her message has been one of compassion, one of patience, mm -hmm. one of kindness, mm -hmm. and she actually sent all of the teachers an email that was outlining all of that and telling us, really be gentle with our students and be patient and, and know, understand that kids have a lot of stuff going on in their homes, and if it's hard for adults, it's really hard for kids too and hard for the adults in their homes to manage and she even linked to an article titled give them all a's and yeah. essentially the idea being because there's so much out of our control let's not use this as a time to be punishing with grades and to be loading kids down with work and to be putting in zeros for missing assignments and to raise the stress level at a really really stressful time so i mean i hear those messages uh, and I'm grateful for them because I think about what it would be like if people weren't sending them. And then right. my, and this could just be me and unhelpful for other people, but um, then my next thing is like, right, but for how long? And I know that's the question that we're asking ourselves like about this entire experience, like, okay, yeah. but for how long? Like that's been my sort of personal response. Like, sure, I can do this, but like for how long? Right. <laughs> you know, when is the other shoe going to drop? And the answer to that might be, it won't. Um, whether we go back or not, there's no 
there's no penalty. Like we all went through the same thing. Right. We'll pick up wherever we can, uh, whether that's where we left off or not, or whether that's where we've come to together or not. Who like, will just, we'll see and we'll be gentle and that'll be beautiful. Like I think that would be lovely. Um, yeah. But at, for those of us that have worked in public education for more than 22 seconds, know that a culture of accountability means a culture of consequences. And totally. so we're wondering what those are. And maybe this is the moment that we finally learn it doesn't always have to be that way, mm -hmm. um, but maybe not. So I know you're thinking ahead of uh, thinking about like, and also congratulations for creating something that seems like a really fruitful, valuable, engaging, supportive holding pattern that is still an opportunity to develop and to communicate and connect and like, what a beautiful, you described it in like under 30 seconds, but what a beautiful <laughs> way to invite kids to read, write, and talk about text, critique it if they want, but like wonder, yeah. wonder about it and think about why it is the way it is and create their own. Like what a beautiful kind of small package of, um, of invitation every other day. Like I, that would be, you should just make that for every, everybody gets a coloring book and a subscription to the, uh, to the Mr. S uh, reader. Yeah, every, yeah, right. <laughs> I would like that. Yeah, I haven't done coloring in my classes here, but I definitely like had that as an option before. I mean, I, I like thank you for that, and I think that it goes to. I'm really happy. And it's like when you say for those of us who have been in education for longer than 22 seconds, like in my sort of stressful moments and in mm -hmm. talking with colleagues, I had a trusted colleague say like, "You're not new to this. Like, stick with the moves that you know." And I'm so thankful to have a grounding in project-based learning, to have a, a, a grounding in portfolio-based approaches to assessing mm -hmm. students' reading and writing. I'm so, mm -hmm. um, I feel so fortunate to have an understanding of, you know, a trauma-informed perspective in terms of how we even relate to students and the importance of just connecting and saying, like, how are you? Before I even say, like, I don't see any work from you. Like, how are you? And, and yeah. sort of make that the relationship stays one way that this could go is maybe nothing will change and maybe we'll just say like well that was weird and we'll sort of go back to things as usual and like that could totally happen that could yeah. totally happen i mean mm -hmm. it, we with all the different things happening with the ways in which municipal budgets are going to be significantly impacted by an economic shutdown i mean that's really scary to think about how that's going to impact education mm -hmm. other thing that could happen is as teachers, you know, I wonder, I sort of made this joke to a friend and I was like, I think snow days are over. I'm like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I think we've sort of established this baseline of like, well, now we, we can do quote unquote distance learning. That's like mm -hmm. a thing. And mm -hmm. so no, the beginning of the year, those sort of pre-service days, I'm going to be expected to hand in my syllabus to, you know, um, make sure that my classroom is ready. And I'm going to have to have my sort of distance learning plan ready. And that is, that feels weird. That feels weird because I, it feels like we got thrown into this. We did get thrown into this. Um, I saw a thing and I think it was somebody in Chicago sort of talking about how this all felt and overnight every parent became a substitute teacher. <laughs> yes. That's, that's how, and you know, and, and I'm, you know, I, I'm a high school teacher my kids are three and six like I'm I'm trying my best but it's it's really hard I mean to think back to like the one one room schoolhouse days of like how do I structure my day that's appropriate for like both of these kids that are really different places developmentally I have some concerns about that I have some concerns about about sort of being rushed down this path 
that we, I don't think we've really put a lot of thought into. I don't think, I think there's a lot of, I think there's some questions that need to be asked before we just sort of assume this is going to be like part of our normal school life that, you know, it's going to be like picture day and like all those other things that we're like, oh yeah, that just happens, you know, that, oh yeah, this is my distance learning plan. It's, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have concerns over that for sure. Yeah. Like what? Here's sort of the three things I think if I were to like try to organize my thoughts in some way. I think first of all, there's a general lack of awareness about the research around one screen time and sort of the way in which devices are designed to manipulate the addictive tendencies of the adolescent brain. That seems like we're just glazing over that. Like, oh, we're putting our kids on, on screens and with a Chromebook or with an iPad, yeah, you can have one tab open to your Google Classroom, but like the whole internet is there at your disposal. And like right. that's right. a really yeah. addictive thing. And, um, and we need to be thinking about that. And then I also think at the same time, so Google, I think, has a policy in which if within the classroom, within Google Classroom, um, no student information will be used for target ads, right? So we know that Gmail is free because when you accept the user agreement for Gmail, you're allowing it to read your emails. Mm-hmm. So that way it can target ads to you. Like, and it's not a person reading your, your, so we're told, right, reading your emails, but like that's how it knows maybe their Google Classroom stuff is not being surveilled in that way. These conversations around this, like taking serious the concerns around screen time, data collection and privacy. I think those are things that we as a state, we as like school districts, we need to grapple with that and give people the facts and allow them to make those decisions for themselves. I worry about the State Department put out this list. It was like an 18, 18 slides and essentially it was just a, a, a spreadsheet of like, here's all these different resources that you could look at for education. And if even a three-year-old or especially my six-year-old, they are very quickly not at the thing I originally put them on, right? <laughs> sort of like those third-party sites. Yep. The, the thing that you're on may be secure and safe, but mm-hmm. how close, how easy is it for a kid to get on a third-party thing that's like the, you know, the YouTube algorithm that's going to take you from like a good story to like something else that's maybe a little bit weird and like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So sort of being aware of that. Yeah. The third thing that I'm concerned about is the all the freebies that are happening right now and the way in which those freebies are sort of legitimizing people or groups in ways that, um, so if those people or groups were were to then come up with an ask or sort of present us with something um, down the road, to say like, oh yeah, we know that. And specifically like the partnership for Connecticut, this Mm -hmm. Shadowy organization started by the Dalios where they gave $100 million to the state. The state ponied up another $100 million, and then they're going to have $100 million from, from other folks, other private folks. It already was super problematic in terms of its governance and in terms of its openness and like not letting people in to even their meetings. Their meetings are not public. Um, they purchased over 60,000 laptops for students in high need areas in the state and they're going to distribute those. And I think that that's great. I think we should be in a a one-to-one computing space. I think this is actually bringing up the idea that people shouldn't have to be getting relief from Comcast, which had a new haven. Like, don't worry, Comcast isn't going to go hard on your debt collection. Like you can get basic Wi-Fi in your house. Like 
Wi-Fi, we need, we need to have municipal Wi-Fi, right? We need to have an infrastructure in which like, if we expect right. every kid to have access, we need to give every kid access. And that's mm -hmm. certainly in a place like New Haven where you have a partner university that can do whatever they want <laughs> with their billions of dollars of endowment, like we should be able to start that. But something like the partnership in Connecticut where you're purchasing all of these laptops, you're distributing them, and you're sort of making quote unquote good on this promise to improve equity and improve educational outcomes in the state. What is this group gonna come up with next? And it's not a secret that the, something else that the Dalios are engaged in is this, um, I don't even really know what to call it, CT, the CT Rise Network. The CT Rise Network is a information collection. It's similar to PowerSchool in, in the way that it works. It, mm -hmm. But CT Rise essentially is a free service that takes in students' grades, students' attendance, students' disciplinary issues, and um, there's a lot of questions around uh, privacy and around like for what and uh, when they came to try to get us to buy in in New Haven, at, excuse me, at Metro, I was part of the meeting and one of the things that they were selling was the idea that it, it has a um, down the road a predictive element to its software. In, which is to say, hey, this kid might be a problem or, or this part of your building. It seems like there's a lot of discipline issues in this stairwell at this time of day. Um, so that idea in which we're sort of giving over the decision making to something that we don't know how it was. There's no public accountability there. So partnership for education gives everybody laptops. That's great. Hey, Dalio is affiliated with that, you know, and, and maybe that's a bridge too far for some folks. But I think when we rely on billionaires to or millionaires when we rely on their charity, that's not public. Um, yeah, I think you're doing a really, like what, whether or not those materialize into anything in particular, I think you're doing a really nice job of modeling the kinds of questions that need to be asked. Mm. Um, and it certainly, I mean, like that certainly is a compelling story about the need to ask those, those questions in particular. It's like, okay, so as you were talking, I kept thinking about, we used to literally have bookends on students' experiences. So like as on literal bookends on their experiences as readers, like even if they were gonna see more than one text at once in a like in the textbook that you used to assign, right? Like yeah. you knew it was on the cover and, and probably yeah. you covered it in a paper bag anyway. And then like you knew the text that came before and after and, yeah. and at, like everything, at least we had the illusion that there was, um, total transparency and control and awareness over what students were being exposed to in school. And therefore we were held accountable for what they were exposed to in school. Right. And now that those things are digital, like you know that they have access to the poem that you send them, but they also have the entire internet, which could be nothing or everything. And this is sort of right. the same thing that's happening with the involvement of um, private enterprises. Uh, so not just are you surrounded by, what text are you surrounded by, but like what other influences are you surrounded by? And this right. relates to some of the questions on other episodes around like, is it fair to do assessments in the online environment? Not just because it's online, but because you don't know what's happening in that space um, for the student, what the conditions or environment are, is like. And um, I wanna be careful about the assumption that like, a noisy or crowded or rowdy place is not, not good for people because there are right. some kids that thrive in that sort of a setting, but, um, but we don't know how the student and the setting interact in terms of their learning. Like, is this working for them or not working for them? 
Um, we, and it could be nothing, but it also could be everything. And mm -hmm. before, like we could see them in our classrooms and, and engagement was one of several things. Like we could tell by body language and eye contact and whether kids were awake and whether they were participating. And now like kids might be engaged, but they forgot to hit submit or they, oh. <laughs> or they are completely unengaged and still hit submit or they, you know, we don't, we, it could be nothing, but it could be everything. And right. so in terms of mm, curating their experiences and their exposures, we just don't know anymore. Um, and I think we have the idea that kids, we knew that kids were in school when we like started the day at a set time and ended it at a set time and then shipped them home in buses half the time or like right. sent them on their way, right? And now we don't really know when and how they're engaged and what does school look like? Does school look like checking out your assignment for five minutes and then doing something else for three hours and coming back and doing a little bit of it and then thinking about it as you ride your bike somewhere and then coming and like <laughs> in some cases, this is really working for people. They're able to walk right. around their house. They're able to take breaks. In some cases, how wonderful is that? And in other cases, how we're getting feedback from some of the teachers are sharing that kids who didn't really engage in the classroom are all of a sudden engaged mm -hmm. on Google. And mm -hmm. I think that that has something to do with it. The idea that nobody is I was just listening. I've had on my shelf for so long. Um, John Taylor Gatto's dumbing us down, right? And the idea, like the 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 uh, I forget how he says it, like the evils of compulsory schooling or something. And, and the idea of compliance that everything is always incomplete because at the end of 90 minutes the bell's gonna ring and you need to stop thinking about English and you need to go to math and you need to right. be thinking about math and like right. there's, there's no um, we don't really care about those transitions and yet with the learning that we're doing now, if, if students are able to manage their time and engage gently in the work, and by gently I mean sort of look at it, do some other stuff, think about it, not feel stressed about it, um, totally, that's really working for some kids. And I, I wonder, and yet, how are the ways in which I try to meet students' needs and like really start to know individual kids in my room to say like, all right, this kid needs this, this kid needs that, and like how can I sort of tailor my environment in each class? Mm -hmm each year sort of how does that look and we don't have that in an online environment we don't have that we don't have any control and so what the superintendent in new haven is essentially saying is because we don't have any of that we can't really hold kids accountable if kids do it great if they don't that's okay too um mm -hmm. for now and i think your question of for how long is the really important one and I don't see I don't see I don't see a lot of people engaging in it because I think in New Haven we don't really have those answers yet and that feels really overwhelming yeah right as we are uh, sort of this community in which we have a lot of that trauma around sort of like essential workers at low-wage jobs a lot of our families are sort of in that space mm -hmm. we know that coronavirus and COVID-19 is having an especially pernicious effect on communities of color mm -hmm. um, you know, really awful but important data coming out recently about the rise in domestic violence incidents because mm -hmm. people mm -hmm. are, are kept in their homes and sort of are not able to, there isn't, there's a lot of stress in the home right now. Right. And yet when I talk to my mom, who's an administrator in Ridgefield, everything's cool. Kids mm -hmm. are going on for three, four hours a day. There's mm -hmm. completion rates. Mm. And I wonder about that. And Dana Goldstein had a piece in the Times recently about sort of this yeah. 
we're seeing very clearly these two different realities. And I, I told my mom, if I worked in, I was like, I'm glad I don't work in Richfield right now because I can't be on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I am going to be on Zoom, my kids are going to have a really bad day of like, stay on the iPad, stay on the TV. Like, yeah. I can't be with you because the best part about being home has been when we take a bike ride to the park, when we go for walks, when we like dig in the dirt outside, that, that's really what homeschool has been for us. It's been mm-hmm. like a little bit of structure and sort of just intentional spending time together. And mm-hmm. it'd be cool if, if school looks more like that. Um, but it, it, um, it's been a challenge. Yeah, I hear that. It's, it reminds me about like, um, we had some exchange students staying with us from South Africa a couple of months ago, like a year ago now. And um, they were coming through, they were a choir and they were coming through and singing in a bunch of different churches. I dropped, dropped them off and they were like, oh, the service is like only from 11 to noon, or 9 to 10. And, um, and I was like, yeah, they, they try to um, make sure people can go on time because honestly, because there are a lot of elderly people in the congregation and they need to go to the bathroom. And right. so, it, like, <laughs> so it doesn't last like for, you know, a couple hours or anything like that. And she looked at me like I was from another planet. She was like, you don't understand when we go to church, we go all day. Like we go early in the morning and we don't come back till it's dark out and you better be sitting up and clapping and you better be singing and dancing. And it like, you need to stop for water. Like you need to bring some water. You can't like everything. It's all day. And then that made me think about like, you know, churches have been very places of worship in general, but churches in particular, I think have been very concerned with like, um, the kind of curation of experiences yeah. schools have been. Some communities yeah. and traditions were like, you don't let the teenagers hang out with certain other teenagers and you don't expose right. them to this kind of media and they come do this, these things over the summer and, you know, Christian specific camp and Christian specific baseball and Christian specific mm-hmm. Boy Scouts and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, but there's a whole spectrum there of like, you know, you can tune into a 15 minute podcast and still have a very rich spiritual life. Or you can come to church once a month and have a very rich spiritual life all the right. way to the other end of the spectrum. I mean, like if your butt is not in a pew for 12 hours on a Sunday and three hours on a Wednesday and your private worship time every day, then like you're doing something wrong. Right. And I think about how people, how we have sort of policed and marshaled um, exposure and experience hours and minutes um, because we think that it's necessary. And large institutions tend to do that because there are very few things that institutions are good at controlling. One is money, the other is time. And so (laughs) um, schools have done a real good job of policing time. And we are now unable to police time. And I, I, your response is that like, in some cases, it's really good news. In other cases, it's not so much good news. But in all cases, educators aren't sure what to do now being forced to do this Google Classroom thing from home, my work time has been like taken from me, if that makes any sense. So my prep periods where I'm like, I have 60 minutes, I need to do like these three things. Yep. And I do much better with that structure. Mm-hmm. In a project-based learning environment, we structure our classes to say, we're gonna write a paper. So guess what we do during, during class? We write the paper, you know? It's like, I set up my room in a way. That I think is one of the things to say, and, and it like kind of blows kids' mind where they're like, we're writing the paper now, sort of the beginning of the year. I'm like, yeah, that, 
Like literally they pay me to help you write this paper because <laughs> you're like, Oh yeah, like that's, that's a good point. And, and that's really hard. That's really hard. I mean, I remember in college having a, an English professor, a, an amazing professor. And this was, or this must've been like 2004 maybe. And he was like, I want you all to submit your assignments electronically. What? He's like, yeah, Microsoft Word has this new, like Word had just come out with like the commenting feature. He's like, we're going to comment online. And, and we're like, okay. And I'll never forget, we came back and it was a pretty big class. It was like 30, it was, it was bigger than sort of your normal, like intimate literature class, right? And it was like 30 kids in the class maybe. And that next class on like Monday or Tuesday, remember he came in and his eyes were like all red and he was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> like giving feedback. Yeah. I love, I prefer to, I tell my kids like, share it with me if you want, but like, you need to print that for me. Like I need to, I need to underline, I need to highlight, I need to write comments in the margins like that. I need to sort of like feel and touch your paper. And, and that's me personally, but that, um, this sort of like sanitary distance of the Google classroom, it's, it's weird in terms of commenting, in terms of voice, in terms of yeah. being and getting a kid's flow. There's definitely something that you don't get when you're sitting next to a kid and talking about what they just wrote in their notebook. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -mm. Interaction doesn't work the same way. The like co-construction thing is programmed in, like you can write things at this like synchronous composition or whatever, but it was never about synchronicity. It was always right. about co-construction, like in the same way that, you know, that fan postal service that like just sent tapes back and forth. It's like, it's a band from, I don't know when, like 15 years ago, they may even still be active, but they would literally like record on a tape, mail it on purpose, even though they could have done this faster, right? They would mail it to each other and then like a record in the next track on a tape, mail it back, record the next track and they would write their songs that way. And like, they have really interesting stuff that is yeah. different than stuff because it's created differently. You can really tell that it sounds and feels like different. Um, it's not because we, they didn't have the technology to do it differently. It's because mm -hmm. they wanted to like hear each other's contributions and consider them and then play with them and then send it back instead of this sort of real time junkety thing. And it makes me think about how I write with other people, which I do frequently. However, um, when I have new writing partners, many of them are surprised to find out I hate writing with other people mm -hmm. it drives me up a wall I can't do it and then at, like I've had to like repair several relationships because people are like listen like you co-author with this person uh -huh. this person and this person I'm like we don't even live in the same country like we right. don't write, we don't get together and have writing parties online we're not in, in a time zone that allows that that's some ridiculousness it's like here are your ideas I'm going to consider them and take a walk and come back and my dog and I are going to like add a little bit and then I'm going to send them to you and a week and a half later, you're going to think about them. Like, and they need that kind of time and germination period. So like the conscious consideration of somebody else's thoughts was never about synchronicity. It sometimes was about proximity because you can look over their shoulder, or sit next right. to them or come down to their level or look them in the eye or do something like that. But like, it was it, like <laughs> co-construction was never, ever about time. I think what, what you're talking about is also making me think about the gets at this really core question about the purpose of school and what is it that we feel like we're missing and then what does it feel like we need to be doing in this time and 
Yeah. I am so much more as I like get get further along in my career thinking about school as a place in which we need to help students we need to validate students we need to help um, support them in developing an understanding of themselves and that mm -hmm. seems a different thing not to say that that can't happen online but that seems really different than what we're doing in google classroom yep the easiest thing to do in online instruction is direct instruction period for everything else there requires some learning and creativity and consideration right. and everything else and so i think it makes sense that a lot of the first things that came out were just plain read-alouds like everybody and their brother posted a read-aloud how oh. educational <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the next thing to come out is videos of direct instruction and yeah. how fantastic and wonderful but like you can sort of see the trajectory of development there that 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 might be a place to start but it certainly can't be a place to end and assigning people things there's no instruction it's just an assign assess cycle which people have accused all of high school of being an assign assess cycle with very little instruction in between. Um, and to the extent that that's true, this is not a very big shift for some people. Right. Yeah. About that, especially in high performing districts, it's not a big shift because the instruction wasn't more rich, creative, or interesting. It was always pretty straightforward and direct and cool. But <laughs> that can't, that's a fine place to start, but it's not a place to end. I think that's a really important, that, that's a really, it, that is not dialogue, right? And it can, dialogue can happen in there, but um, that assign assess cycle is not going to necessarily allow for a lot of co-creation, right? Sure. And a lot of dialogue. Mm -hmm. It's a good can, training model. It's not a good development model. And so mm -hmm. to whatever extent, and, and so there are things that we want to learn that way. Like I just learned how to um, change the tube in my bike tire all by myself. Yeah. Assign, assess, right? Oh. Like <laughs> there was no teaching going on. An instructional video is not a teacher. It's just information that someone put there and I had a need and I filled it because I'm an adult learner who identified, you know, a, a crisis of understanding that needed to be addressed and that's how adults learn. <laughs> but that's not what I hope for school. Like I hope for a lot more um, of the development and discovery and the learning of practices and the apprenticeship and the co-construction and the co-creation and the building of things bigger than I could ever build by myself. And there are ways to do that online, but they take a great deal more knowledge and finesse, understanding and finesse of what is possible and optimal online. And I know that there are people that know that. There are schools that exist entirely online. There are people who have devoted their entire careers to the study of online pedagogies. Like we can do this, we, we can't do it at the drop of a hat. And so I think what we are doing is demonstrating tremendous sort of faith and courage and tenacity and ingenuity. And as we continue to ask these questions about like, yes, but for how long, um, mm -hmm. I don't want to forget that there were other parts of school and right. when people, you know, that, that are of value and that need to be perhaps named and articulated better because they are invisible. So for folks that don't do this all the time or who have done it in a different way or who are new, it might be easy to say like, oh, by the way, like this was great. So now we don't, let's never have a snow day because distance learning is just fine. Right. And like that this is distance, this can't be distance learning actually. Like this can be, this is a really good response to a crisis. I'm mm -hmm. encouraged and excited and feeling very positive about what I've heard educators are doing and what I feel like I'm doing with my graduate students in response to a crisis. But this is not a replacement for mm -hmm what we were hoping school could be.
And there's also room, I think, to sort of the de-schooling de of society a little bit of saying mm -hmm. a lot of these, you know, bookends that we had in place, a lot of the structures, a lot of the patterns and routines and things that we associate with school really are unnecessary and in some cases are limiting. And mm -hmm. we don't need them and we don't want them and we need to get rid of them. And now would be a good time. Standardized testing might be one of them, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden we're going to not have SATs for a year and like the world is going to go on, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. Colleges that were like, I guess we're not going to have that and it's okay. So mm -hmm. uh, for those 40% of schools that have not decided to be SAT optional, they can, yeah. It's, it's pushing, pushing us forward in some like, like jumping ahead into some positive territory. Yeah. Uh, whether you are ready or not, here you are. <laughs> yeah. I want to thank you so much for taking Oh my gosh. Thank, thank you, you thank you, thank you. Like, and that's it for this chat. You can find our guest's contact information by navigating from our website, reading.education.ucon.edu, and clicking on podcast. We'll also have a transcript of this conversation and links to some of the tools and ideas mentioned here. Don't forget to like, subscribe, download, share, and check back here next week for a new series of podcasts from your UConn Literacy Fellows. Thanks for listening.